I'll pray, and then we'll look at the text together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, please help us now as we come to think upon this text of Scripture. Help us to be like the Thessalonians and receive it not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God. Uh, Please use me in my weakness to preach it faithfully as I ought, and give us all our hearts to hear and to receive it by faith, and cling to the hope of resurrection life that it proclaims. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The 19th of February, 2019, uh, is a date I won't be forgetting any time soon. This was the day on which my wife and I experienced the joy of welcoming our third daughter, Heidi, into the world. Uh, But it was also the day on which a sister in Christ, known to many of you here, died in hospital. I remember driving from the hospital where I had been with my wife and daughter to the home of someone who uh, had been very close with this sister in Christ, with Sue's. Uh, Driving there, my head was just trying to process all the emotions that I was experiencing in that moment. Uh, When I arrived, I saw people in the house sitting, weeping, grieving. On the 19th of February, many within our 5pm community here felt the deep grief of losing a fellow Christian who you knew and who you loved. And I suspect a number of you still feel that grief. Death within a Christian community, particularly when it happens suddenly or unexpectedly, is a painful experience. And that's because in a church community, well, a healthy church community, uh, we are sharing not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, as Paul says in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 8 of this book. In a church community, we do life together. Uh, We serve alongside each other. We sing and pray with each other, as we've just been doing. We fellowship with each other in people's homes. And all the more we do this stuff, the deeper our relationships grow. And so that when we lose one of our number, we actually feel it deeply. Well, in tonight's passage, we learned that the church in Thessalonica had also felt the pain of losing one or possibly more of its own. It is likely that these ancient believers, actually much like us, gathered together in their homes, sitting, weeping, grieving. And that's why Paul takes the time he does here in this text, to encourage them with the good hope of resurrection life that their community has in Jesus. But these words are not only for their encouragement, but for ours too, uh, particularly as we think about our own mortality and we think about the grief of losing brothers and sisters in Christ. It's actually encouragement is the big goal and purpose of this passage. The Thessalonians, we are told, verse 18, to encourage one another with these words. So what I'm going to do is think about three key things that this passage uh, is telling us about believers who have died. Uh, First, there is hope within the grief. Second, Jesus has not lost them and will not forget them. And three, Jesus will powerfully raise them from the dead. 
And as we've thought about those three, we'll actually then consider what it might look like for us to be a church that encourages one another with these words. So first, Paul tells the Thessalonians, uh, who have lost members within their church, that there is hope within the grief. Uh, Like a number of us, the Thessalonians had felt the grief of losing one or more of their fellow believers. Uh, Now, we sense that's kind of bad enough, but it would also appear that their grief was compounded by a kind of confusion about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, If you're not familiar with the idea of Jesus' return, this is part of the Christian message that says on that final day, Jesus will return to earth as the great judge of all and welcome his followers into the new heavens and new earth. Now, we know the Thessalonians had been told about Jesus coming again. We know that they were eagerly waiting for his coming, as we see there in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, perhaps expecting it to be very soon. But it would appear that they were confused and worried about how those who have already died in their community would actually benefit from that coming. Uh, You can sort of imagine their concerns, some of the things they might have been saying, like our friends had so looked forward to seeing Jesus, but now they won't be around when he comes. Uh, Have they missed out entirely? Will their souls at least in some sense be present on that day? Well, Paul, he told us that we would live forever together through faith in Jesus Christ, but are we going to ever really see them again? The death of fellow believers had appeared to take the shine off the good hope of that final day when Christ returns for some within that church. Uh, It's a bit like this, right? Imagine that you and your four close friends were planning an amazing trip up north to Queensland for a week. Uh, You mapped out everything in detail, the amazing high-rise hotel you're going to stay at, list of restaurants you want to visit, the planned afternoons at the beach... All five of you totally excited about the thought of being together in this wonderful place. But then one of you gets gastro the night before you leave. One of your number has to miss out. And suddenly the shine's taken off your holiday together. See, you wanted that person there with you. And actually you're sad for them that they're going to miss out. We'll amplify that grief and disappointment several times over, and you might begin to kind of capture some of where the Thessalonians were at in their grief about believers who have died. And so what does Paul say into their grief? Well, he says there's hope within your grief. No need for utter despair, and you guys need to know about it. See, look at what he writes in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, I think it's good to be clear about what Paul's not saying there. Okay, Paul is not saying that when a fellow believer, fellow Christian, dies, that because of our resurrection hope, we shouldn't grieve. Full stop. No, he's, 
He's not saying you should not grieve. He says we should not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We should not grieve in a particular way. See, actually, grief in the face of death is not just unavoidable, it's actually appropriate. Uh, Romans uh, 12, 15 tells us, mourn with those who mourn. We should be saddened by the intrusion of death into our lives and relationships. Jesus himself grieved at the entrance of Lazarus's tomb. It's right to grieve. But in the face of Christian death, Paul is calling us to a particular type of grief. One that is marked with hope, not hopelessness. The kind of hopelessness that was the kind of grief expressed by the pagan world around the Thessalonians, the rest of mankind, to use Paul's language. You see, the pagan world in Paul's day was by and large, uh, by and large understood death as final and complete. Uh, the idea that a deceased person was known and loved intimately by an all-powerful God who promised them to, uh, bod- to promise them to raise them bodily after death, that was unthinkable. Though there was some concept of an afterlife in the pagan world, it wasn't usually that inspiring, and the person was more likely to be seen as just simply cut off from the land of the living, forever separated from those they loved and who loved them. They actually had no real hope. And I think you see a bit of this sort of attitude today in our kind of increasingly secular world uh, where there is no real and good hope in the face of grief. Uh, Often we'll actually be told to kind of just simply look back on the person's life and take comfort in the memories of that person. Uh, What Paul is saying here is actually so much better than that. Uh, He's telling us that when a follower of Jesus dies, we don't just have to look back, but we can actually also look forward to their promised resurrection, their promised resurrection, and take comfort from that hope. Your grief is different, says Paul to the Thessalonians. It's marked by hope. Uh, Tim Keller writes uh, this in the book that I mentioned just before. Uh, he calls, calls people to rub hope into our grief. He says, take your anger and grief and rub hope into it, the way people used to have to rub salt into meat to keep it from going bad. Rub hope deep into your grief and it will make you wise. When a believer dies, we don't want our grief going bad through hopelessness. We grieve with the good hope of resurrection life always before us. There is hope within grief. Uh, But secondly, uh, Paul says that believers who have died in... uh, The second thing Paul says about believers who have died is that Jesus has not lost them and he will not forget them. Uh, This is part of the good hope that he's just been talking about. You see, that was um, possibly their confusion and fear that the believers they had known and had seen die, that they may have, in some sense, been lost to Jesus, 
or that they would sort of miss out on the glory of his return. No, says Paul, Jesus has got them. And Jesus will make sure that they get to that final day and experience the fullness of its glory. And notice that he says Jesus' death and resurrection actually guarantees that. Look at verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see, Jesus died for the very purpose that believers in him would live. You see, the full horror of death, which is the penalty for our sin, is not simply the decay and shutdown of our bodies. Death, biblically speaking, is physical, yes, but also spiritual, where you're cut off from true life with God and condemned to face his judgment. At the cross, Jesus took on that full horror of death for us so that we wouldn't have to experience the full horror of it. And how do we know that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf? How do we know that the cross actually worked to give us forgiveness and life? Well, because God raised Jesus to life. That shows us that God was satisfied with what Jesus did for us. And it assures us that if we believe in Jesus, well, we, like he, will one day be raised to life. Because of Jesus, the idea of death has been totally transformed for the believer. No longer are we considered dead in sin, we've been forgiven. Uh, No longer are we cut off from God, Jesus has reconciled the relationship. No longer does physical death bring about judgment in hell, in one sense it becomes the gateway to life in heaven. And though our bodies do get old and sick and shut down, Jesus says they will rise. In fact, death has been so transformed for the believer that the New Testament writers actually refuse to even talk about believers dying. They don't use that language. You see it actually throughout our passage, but you can look elsewhere in the New Testament. They're never said to die, but to fall asleep in Christ. Dead people stay dead. Sleeping people wake up. The death and resurrection of Jesus is a game changer for the horror of death that humanity faces because of our sin. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts the matter like this. Uh, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. He's saying that would mean the cross didn't work. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, well, we're uh, we're of all people to be most pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The death and resurrection of Jesus tells us that believers who die are not lost and will not be forgotten on by Jesus on the day of his return. He has saved them and saved them completely. They are precious to him. They won't miss out. Now, if all this is a little bit new to you, uh, I'll just try and sum it up a little bit like this. When a believer dies, their soul immediately departs from their body and they remain safe and satisfied with Jesus in heaven. 
That's why Jesus tells the thief next to him on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not next year, immediately safe with Jesus. And on the day of Jesus' return, which is a future event, the souls of departed believers are brought with Jesus. Note that in verse 14, they come with him in order to receive their resurrected and glorified bodies, which we'll think about in just a moment. But the point is here that Jesus won't be scrambling to find the souls of believers on that day. They're already safe by his side and they're coming with him. At no point within or beyond death is the believer left on their own. Jesus does not lose them and he will not forget them. Uh, One of our elderly neighbours once approached me while I was in the front garden, just doing some gardening there, and she asked whether I could speak to her about what happens when she dies and how she could be prepared for death. Uh, She knew I was a Christian and uh, thought maybe Christianity offered some level of hope in this department. These are the kind of discussions that we actually long to have as Christians because we actually do have a good hope to share. And so what did I do? Well, I, I went and sat down with her in her lounge room. We opened up the Bible together. I pointed her to Jesus, who promises her that through his death and resurrection, she could be forgiven and restored to God. Jesus, who says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that I pointed her to Jesus that through trusting him she would not be lost after death, but safe with him, her saviour in heaven. And on that last day, when Jesus returns, she would not be forgotten by him, but he would powerfully raise her bodily to live in God's presence forever. You see, if there was ever a truly satisfying answer to the question of what happens when we die, surely Jesus gives it to us. My prayer is for myself that I would just be brave enough to keep sharing something so good. We can rest assured that when a believer dies, Jesus has not lost them and will not forget them, which leads us to our final point. Paul encourages the Thessalonians by driving home his big point that Jesus will powerfully raise up believers who have died on the day of his return. Uh, See, many people, I think, uh, assume that heaven, that souls in heaven, is the sum total of our Christian hope when believers die. Uh, And this makes sense because there are a number of passages in the New Testament that speak of how much better it is for our souls to be in the glories of heaven than in the broken and sinful world that we live in. Uh, Paul certainly makes this clear in Philippians 1.23. He writes there, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. No comparison. For our souls to be in heaven after we die is better by far. No more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, life in the presence of God. But what we see in this passage is that even though life in heaven is infinitely better than life on earth, 
The best is actually still yet to come in the resurrection of our bodies on the day of Christ's return. You see, God created us not merely to exist as souls, but as embodied people. Our bodies are actually a good part of God's creation. They're part of what makes us truly us. And when working well, our bodies are a great source of joy, eating, dancing, hugging a friend. God, therefore, does not wish to permanently rid us of our bodies, but to restore and glorify our bodies on that final day. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, who is a quadriplegic, who some of you might know, uh, captures the goodness of bodily resurrection, which comes on the day of Christ's return when she writes this. Uh, My hope of running through earthly meadows and splashing my feet in a stream will never come true, but it will in the new heavens and earth. My dream of hugging a loved one and actually feeling his or her embrace will never come true, but it will when we stand together with Jesus. Believers who die have the good promise that Jesus will take them from better and then bring them to best. Their souls satisfied in heaven, soul and body satisfied in the new creation that Jesus establishes at his return. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians here, you can rest assured that that brother or sister that you just buried will not miss out on the resurrection best that Jesus has to offer. In fact, Paul is clear that they will actually be the first uh, on the, as they will be the first item on Jesus' agenda on the day of his return. I don't know if you noticed that there in verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. When Jesus returns, his first order of business will be to raise those who have said goodbye to you. And you see it again in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, What I find striking about verse 16 is just how noisy it all is. When Christ returns to raise the dead, it's going to be very noisy. Jesus' loud command, the voice of the archangel shouting, trumpet call of God. But I think there's actually purpose behind that noise. You see, I think it, it speaks of Jesus' authority in his loud command. Jesus' glory in the presence of the archangel. Jesus' divine power to raise the dead just as he said he would. Uh, The trumpet call of God actually taps into the imagery, I think, of Exodus chapter 19, where Israel heard a loud trumpet blast as they prepared to meet with God at Mount Sinai. The trumpet sound upon Jesus' return is a signal to God's people that they're about to enter into the glorious presence of their God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Believers who have died won't miss that glory They will rise first to see it. You see, to a Christian community in grief, these words, again, are a game changer. 
They say with absolute clarity that there is a glorious resurrection waiting for their departed brother or sister in Christ on that last day. But they also speak of a glorious reunion that will take place on that day between believers, raised and living. We will actually see each other again. So you look at the first part of verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up together with them. Uh, How we long to be reunited with the ones that we've lost. Uh, Many of you might know Eric Clapton. He's one of the most famous guitarists of all time. Uh, In 1991, Clapton's four-year-old son, Connor, tragically died uh, in a horrible accident during a stay in New York City. And two years later, Clapton released a song called Tears in Heaven, uh, in which he sang of his longing to be with his son again. Uh, Whenever I hear this song, I'm just totally moved by it when it comes on the radio. He sings... Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? Would you help me stand if I saw you in heaven? Now, if you've lost someone you love, you may be able to resonate or relate to the longing in those words. We wish we could be with the person again. We wonder what it would be like. We want to touch them and hold them again. Jesus fulfills this longing in the community of his people. Death will not be the end of our relationship with fellow believers in Jesus. On the day of Jesus' return, we will be caught up together with them. See, can you imagine seeing your believing parent grandparent, friend, sibling, child. It's an unspeakable joy that is only surpassed by seeing the Lord Jesus himself on that day. And actually, that's where Paul leaves them. You see it there at the end of verse 17. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. God's people, both newly raised and living, will go to meet Jesus in the air. Kind of like joyful citizens travelling out to the city gate to meet their king who has come to visit them, believers throughout all of history go up to meet Jesus and then continue with him as he makes all things new in the renewing of creation. So we'll be with the Lord forever. When a believer dies... What do we do with our grief? Well, Paul tells us to encourage one another with these words. Verse 18. Words that tell us there's hope in grief. Words that tell us our believers are not lost and will not be forgotten. Words that speak of bodily resurrection. So what does it look like for us to encourage one another with these words? Well, firstly, to those of you who are here or listening tonight but aren't yet Christian, well, there's actually encouragement here on offer for you too. 
if you put your trust in Jesus. For his offer of resurrection life actually extends to all who believe in him. There is no one too sinful, no one too stuck in their ways, no one who's outside the bounds of this great promise. See, now is actually the time to turn to Jesus, to seek his forgiveness, follow him, and actually find a hope that is real and good. Uh, You're welcome to speak with me afterwards if you want to talk more about Jesus, or you actually might like to learn more about him and this promise in the next Christianity Explored course that we're doing after the holidays. But to those of you who are followers of Jesus, we'll keep encouraging each other with these words in the moments of grief that come to us. You see, when, when someone... When someone close to one of us dies, we need to get around that grieving person. We actually need to love them, to support them, to pray for them. And if the person who has died is a, was a believer, we need to encourage our brother and sister with the words of hope here. Remind them that their loved one is safe with Jesus, that Jesus is looking after them, and that they'll be reunited with him again on the last day. Sometimes this encouragement is actually needed when one of us shares about the grief of seeing a believing friend or family member whose mind has been affected with dementia or body damaged by a stroke or a car accident. Well, we need to encourage that person in their grief of the hope of bodily resurrection, that Jesus will renew the body Renew the mind so that they will once again walk and talk in the presence of Jesus. And when we undergo the collective pain of losing someone from our own congregation, uh, we need to do what I saw you guys doing two years ago, gathering with each other in small and large groups, helping each other in the grief, giving thanks to God for how the person blessed us, but most importantly, speaking to one another of the resurrection hope that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, gives us. Now, in these moments, you might be worried about being so forward or saying something in the wrong way. But let us not forget that God calls us to say something. It's actually worse to say nothing. We need to trust God and do what he says to do in those moments. Encourage one another with these words. So just pray that the Holy Spirit would give you tact and care as you speak with someone and encourage them. Encourage them by saying there is hope in your grief. Jesus has not lost your believing loved one, and he will not forget them. And Jesus will powerfully raise them up on the last day. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the glorious hope of our future resurrection that we have heard of tonight. We thank you for Jesus who made it possible through dying 
and rising for us. Help us to be obedient to your word and loving to others as we seek to encourage them with these words. Amen.